after a bit of interruption, we're back in the throes of summer here on Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Yes, I say we because it's both of us this time. It is me, Will Young, and my co-host Fresh from his homeland, Lucas Mancini. Buona sera, William. Buona sera. So good to be back. Grazie. Grazie mille. Salute, Sir Lucas. Shall we take a look at the list? <laughs> hey, listen, you can't do that voice. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Good to be back. Listen, it was a fun. It was fun. Uh, I ate the best food I've ever had. Saw some amazing sights. But you know what, Will? Hmm. Uh, I couldn't help but miss my good friend, uh, well, you, but also Arthur the Aardvark. So I'm happy to check back in um, with Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Well, thank you very much for thinking of us, and uh, I'm sure we certainly all were, and I, I was uh, happy to see all of the updates on your Instagram. It's certainly a, a beautiful land, and hopefully I'll get to I'll, hopefully I'll get to go myself one day. Oh yes, I and listen, you gotta hit me up first. I'll I'll let you know the drill. Okay, we'll make sure that uh, you know I, I might have mean something out there. Uh, so we'll make sure that you're welcomed with open arms. Well, thank you so much, and yeah, absolutely, you would be one of the first people that I would come to for travel <laughs> advice on that. Uh, of course, we are going to get into a new episode of Arthur. Just a couple things to take care of up front. Now, I didn't go any like vacation really anywhere exotic, but I did get to. I did get to see some wonderful sights just the other day when I got to see when I when I went to the movie theater. You know, Ooh. this is something I don't do a lot. I've talked about it in the last few years here, <laughs> and especially if you're a patron. A vacation to Tinseltown. Yes. And especially if you're a patron and you've heard our ECL movie reviews, which are exclusive to Patreon. Those aren't coming to the free feed anytime soon. Uh, you know my my feelings on the theater experience. I was not really positive on it uh for for when we actually went to the theater so it takes a lot to get me there but i finally did to see spider-man across the spider-verse and that is the rare instance where of course it was very much worth the money to see it on the big screen great great movie still think i like the original better but i just wanted to you know this being an animation podcast we talk about animation cartoons uh a lot and finally, now I understand all the memes, I get all the references, I know what everybody is, and uh, yeah, no, it, gets my, it certainly gets my seal of approval, and you can also find out uh, my thoughts more in detail by following me on Letterboxd. So uh, I'm constantly over on Letterboxd, uh, almost 150 movies logged this year, and, and nice, I'm still going. Well. I, uh, the, the cinema is back. I, uh, there's a bunch I want to see right now, and I feel like I don't have time for it. I even want to see stuff that I know is going to be a clunker, like, like that new Indiana Jones. Uh, I gotta say, I gotta say though, Lucas, it's just, it's a little too rich for my bones now. To have the typical movie experience, to go on a date to the movie theater, that's 50 Canadian dollars right there. And I've done that twice this year. Are you, are you going on Tuesdays, though, Will? No, I'm You're not going on tactical... Tuesdays. Okay, well, there's your problem. It's cheap day on Tuesday. I don't see. Listen, 
If it ain't on Tuesday, I'm not seeing that ish. Okay, that's 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 first and foremost. Well, I'm not gotta, going. I'm not going on tactics. Tuesday because I'm recording <laughs> Elwood City Limits on a Tuesday. Oh, see, this, we've we've gotten to the crux of the issue. Also, it was mm, for my wife. Okay, it was for my wife's birthday. So, and the time ah, and the time that I went before I a couple months ago, it was for Mother's Day. So it's like I see. Oh, I see, yeah. I see, sorry, I see. can't go on Tuesday. I've got yes. a life. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, can't go on Tuesday, you're gonna get hit with the old rolling pin. <laughs> Not really though. <laughs> um, and a little piece of Arthur-related news here. Now, this is for our Canadian listeners, and this was also news to me. This was uh, brought to my attention by uh, Retro on Twitter. Sorry, Retro, I'm going to get your handle correct uh, for the end part of this quick segment. And they let me know that there is a streaming service called Pluto TV, which I had not interacted with before this. Um, and it is, it's basically, I love this. You, you, you thought that Netflix and all those other streaming networks were just basically reverse engineering TV. This seems to me like it's literally just TV you watch on the internet. You, you can pick from all kinds of specialty channels and watch them with ads. It's, it's TV, it's TV, but these specialty channels include, if you're in Canada, an Arthur channel. They're playing 24/7 Arthur on Pluto TV Canada and it is free. We're not getting we're not getting sponsored for this. I just wanted to let all of our Canadian listeners know that if you're ever hankering for some Arthur and you don't want to go through the trouble of uh, purchasing it legally, uh, you can go to Pluto Pluto TV and search up their Arthur channel and uh yeah, I, I did it just today. It was a now it was an episode from season 20, so I quickly averted my eyes and ran away, but it is nice to know that it is there, and that uh, was courtesy of at that retro, one of our followers on Twitter. So, I, I, I'm really, you know, invigorated by this advent of it's. It's not quite the old TV model, and it's not quite the subscription-based service model. It's this ad-supported free model, right? Like this is the Tubi model, uh, and you won't find a bigger advocate for Tubi than me. So I welcome Pluto TV, and I welcome this kind of new type. Uh, of um, putting out content because I think it's just simply better. I think people are tired of subscription services. Uh, so yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah. So and and unfortunately, Americans, I don't know if there's a or people outside of North America. I'm not sure if there's a uh, anything for your region, but Canadians rejoice in this regard. And of course, we want to run down a couple of emails that we've been holding on to since uh, around when Lucas took his vacation. You can send us emails, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com, just like Drew did. Drew says, I thought I'd emailed you guys. I thought I would email you guys for the first time in a while and ask what each Arthur kid would consider to be their favorite film of 2022 that isn't 1,000 Explosions and a Supernova. Uh, also, at the point you guys are in the pod is when I slowly got disconnected from most of the newer Arthur and more so just stuck to the old episodes. I hope you all take care. Continue doing a great job with the pod. Lucas, movies in 2022. Uh, yeah, ha- I got this. I am opening Letterboxd <laughs> uh, at least to look so, at the ones that I saw, but go ahead. Uh, I think uh, Buster would be a big fan of either The Menu or The Whale. Uh, just because he loves food, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that... I feel like the whale might put him off food, though. <laughs> well, he'd be, he'd be. I feel like Buster would misread the whale. He'd be like, "This guy's awesome." <laughs> um, uh, I uh, it, who would be watching Tar? Maybe Fern. I feel like Fern would be into Tar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe Muffy again. Maybe Muffy. Muffy again. 
watching Tar being like, yeah, she rocks. <laughs> but Muffy being like, yeah, this lady is really, really cool. Uh, whereas Muffy would be horrified by Triangle of Sadness. She'd be like, oh my god, right. it was so scary. Uh, do, you think, do you think Brain would be Avatar-pilled? I, no, I think Braid would be like... Braid would be to Avatar like the way that uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, where he'd be like, that would never happen. Oh. Uh, <laughs> then, th- well, there's gotta... <laughs> then, who, then who would be Avatar-pilled? Uh, you know what? I think Avatar is kind of the most mainstream movie ever. It's the most middle-of-the-road, uh, firing on all cylinders, widest net. Mm. I think Arthur is the one who catches... Avatar, just like how he got caught up in in Crespomania, I think uh, <laughs> Arthur, much like myself, would be you know all the way in on Avatar Two: Way of the Water, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, no, sure. Um, I'm just looking through. I, now I didn't I didn't see everything in 2022, so I'm just uh, trying to figure stuff out. I will say the one that I feel crosses boundaries, the one that everybody can, all the Arthur gang can come together and watch, is definitely Turning Red. They would all they would mm, all find mm. something in Turning Red because it's a great movie. It's a it's mm-hmm. it's a fantastic movie. I love that movie. Uh, and weirdly enough, DW into Barbarian. DW, was, <laughs> well, yeah, the, she was like maybe this was great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so there there there's a couple there. Um, would some? Oh, w- oh my God! Yeah, Buster, Buster, never mind. Buster would be watching. Nope, but nope would oh, be Buster's sure. favorite. Oh, movie. of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good catch. Good catch. Um, Banshees of Inner Sharon, Glass Onion. Banshees of Inner Sharon. Uh, oh man, who's watching Ban? Who's the crankiest Arthur character? Um. Uh, hmm. Maybe Mr. Ratburn to study the Irish culture. Mm, mm, mm. Or, or you know what, uh, Mr. Ratburn. I-, I could see him going either Banshees or Glass Onion. Really. Uh, who's the most humorless and annoying <laughs> for um, Glass Onion? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so i mean we could keep going with this but there's a couple of things to to get you going and that's a that's another prompt that you can send us on our socials or through email movies of 2022 movies of 2023 as well um i think i think buster would vibe with matt johnson uh blackberry was Ooh, the other movie blackberry. I, blackberry was the other See, movie i saw in theaters this year D- terrific movie definitely check it out him and matt johnson peas in a pod in a way True. They have a similar sensibility for sure. It's too early to give the Arthur characters movies of of 2023. We can't we can't decide well, you know, which Arthur characters are Barbie people and which ones are Oppenheimer people. Mm, that's it's, true. We got to see we got to see the darn movies first. Yeah. You're right about that. Uh, and our other email is from Funith. Hey, Will and Lucas, was thinking back on your review of such episodes as Flippity Francine and Buster Bombs. If Arthur was still going on for an episode uh, of Arthur when it gets revived, I wonder what your thoughts would be. On a Buster-centric Arthur episode, dealing with internet fame again, but this time touching on troll-slash-prank humor, a la something in the vein of Tom Green. Imagine if Buster took an approach to that type of comedy and the lessons that can be learned, like how pranking goes too far for the sake of internet clout the way so many online influencers do. Also, I can totally see Buster singing the sausage song. Well, there you go. Another 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 movie that Buster's going to discover in college and it's going to it's going to bust <laughs> his brain wide finger. open. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh I love that old Tom Green's. Like have you ever watched like Tom Green's Public Access? tv show no um, not not in not in depth no 
it it was on a lot of uh, uploads of it are on YouTube. But it was on like local access cable, like whatever the Rogers channel was, mm-hmm. uh, in in where he was in in Ontario. Um, and in a way, Tom Green kind of invented the sort of, for lack of a better term, this is kind of a, a misnomer, but the 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 anti comedy. You know, if there's mm-hmm. no Tom Green, there's no Eric Andre, there's no I think you should leave. There's no. Um, he was really kind of ahead of his time, uh, and you especially see this with his public access show, which is really esoteric, um, and <laughs> kind of has to be seen to be believed. Um, but yeah, it is interesting to think of, of Buster getting involved with like, not really a Tom Green sensibility, but the YouTube stuff where it's like, it was a prank, bro. Yeah. You know, Buster, uh, Buster starting fights, uh, in public and, and that kind of stuff. He pranks Binky, you know, and it doesn't go his way. There's definitely a bunch of uh, episode concepts that we'll never be able to follow up on that have to do with more recent online trends. So that is that is one of them. Thank you, Funith. And thank you to Drew and everyone who emails us, ElbitCityLimits at gmail.com. And we also want to say thank you to our patrons who uh, go over to patreon.com slash Limits and plunk down a bit of their money to hear extra podcasts and extra content such as uh, we recently had our extra podcast for the month of June. It was for the kids at PBS Kids Podcast. We were talking about, speaking of, <laughs> a movie mentioned several times in that episode, The Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, Jakers, The Adventures of Piggly Winks, uh, probably, <laughs> probably the most Irish PBS Kids episode uh, series that there has ever been. So if you want to hear us talk about that, and like 50 plus more PBS Kids shows. Check out that podcast. And later in July, we're going to save this to the end of the episode. Uh, Rather, I should say, I'm going to be pitching something at the end of the episode for the July episode of ECL Origins. And hey, Free Feed listeners, we love you too. We had a little bit of a shakeup to the schedule recently. So if you haven't checked it out yet, we did put an episode of ECL Origins on the Free Feed and it's all about Yvonne of the Yukon. Now, it doesn't matter if you've watched every episode of Yvonne of the Yukon or if you've literally never heard of it before. You have to know more about it. That's why we made that the free one. I promise you, it's even more depraved and gross than you think it is. For like a children's cartoon in 1999. Check it out. I don't think you'll be disappointed. It was such a blast to record. And if you like what you hear, you can be like one of these people who signs up at patreon.com slash Limits? People like Ian Collis and Light Relentless. People like Shayna Bennett and Michaela Gibson. People like Revd, Michelle Sprzynski, Allison Archambault, and, uh, well, Cindy Long, yes, but also Vanessa. People like Awesome Eddie 21, The Flying Sparks 32, Ricardo A. Soto, Matt M. and Emma, Cecil Robinson, Thunder Yetta, Oscar Vest and Scott Ripley and our newest patron Maisie Rose Sterling. Welcome Maisie, thank you very much. And thank you to everyone at patreon.com/elwoodcitylimits. But no matter where you are, we're talking Arthur here. We're back at it again. And look what was waiting for you, Lucas, after visiting the beautiful homeland of your ancestors. You come home, you take you you know, you get your sleep back, you get your life back in order. And it's the episode Pets and Pests. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not, not, and you know what? At first, I didn't realize that this was going to be kind of a 
a bad surprise. Mm-hmm. And then when we got into the episode proper, there's a reveal uh, that kind of made my heart sink a little bit. But let's get into it. Mm. All right, let's do that. So Pets and Pests, it doesn't... It, starts out with the Reed family, so it kind of fools you into thinking it's going to be like an Arthur-centric episode. And the, uh, the happening is that a mouse has invaded the Reed house, and this is all happening during breakfast as Dad has, Dad has made a fresh loaf of banana bread, which my wife recently did that. I love banana bread. And as Dad says, fresh banana bread, nothing smells better. He might be right about that. He might be right. DW and Arthur are arguing over the cereal box prize, which I'm not even confident happens anymore. I don't buy the type of cereal that gives prizes anymore. Yeah, I'm it, too old. I'm just I'm just happy that the crunch cereal still exists. Yes, yes. That's one of the that's one of the, the kind of stalwarts of the the Arthur continuity bible is that if there's ever a cereal it's going to be crunch cereal. Mm-hmm. Um was it season 1? Where Arthur wins the box top yes. context. Yes. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's that's been a, a consistent through line. Or here's an old one for you. It could be honey squids, maybe. The prize is a treasure chest, but it's a ripoff. There's no fortune inside. Or rather, I should say, there is no j- fortune of jewels inside. It's just a fortune, like just a little writing on a piece of paper. Yeah. A stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet. It's like it's not even a good one. Really good line delivery from DW. Um, it's always funny when W kind of DW speaks wisely beyond her years. <laughs> She's like, "Hey, where are the rubles and the pieces of six? Which is <laughs> not like a turn of phrase that a four uh, four year old would ever say. So they reveal the banana bread, and there's a there's a mouse that is going to town on it. Now the mouse looks quite friendly. They they go out of their way to make sure it doesn't look mean or anything like that. But the whole family freaks out, and Arthur does a Zach Morris freeze frame here, where he stops time and just kind of takes in the whole situation of you know you hear a lot about uh, nice mice like the, the good mice, you know one of the good ones like Stuart Little or Despero, the brave mice of stories. But then when you get a real mouse in your house, it can become a whole different type of problem. And then Arthur even uh, signals off camera for the frame to be unfrozen and everybody freaks out about the mouse, which as somebody I don't I haven't had this happen in a very long time. This was in back when I used to live at my parents house almost a decade ago. We we got a mouse or two in there and that was always uh, kept everybody on edge. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, it has to be said, or else the listeners are going to bring it up in the Discord. Oh, well. yeah. For those of you playing the Elwood City Limits drinking game at home, uh, the animal hierarchy, it's weird that there's anthropomorphized animal, animals uh, like Arthur, and then there's a mouse, and the mouse is like an actual animal. Um, you know, go back and listen to our six years of podcast episodes to hear me will talk about this and speculate about this ad nauseum. Um, in this case, it's kind of extra weird because Mr. Rappern is a rat, right? So sometimes the animals, they're careful to be like, there's no kind of anthropomorphized equivalent, right? Mm. There's like, oh, there's a lizard. And it's like, okay, there isn't really any lizards going to Arthur's school or in the community. So it makes it less weird. These ones are extra weird where it's like, okay, why does Mr. Rappern get to be Mr. Rappern? But this mouse is a, is a pest. It's extra weird also because Mr. Rappert has rat in his name, right? Usually when the, the characters refer to themselves, they, like, act like they're people. They don't really acknowledge, I'm a rabbit, you're an aardvark, yada, yada, yada. Mm. Um, so, yes, it's all very strange. You're not supposed to think about it. Um, it's it's really weird. Uh, especially, well, we'll get into it, but 
the the animals the, the animals that don't get to be funny animals uh, are also sentient in a way that the kind of dog and baby episodes reflect on that makes this whole thing even stranger. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing is talking about our personal experiences with mice. See, Will, this wouldn't phase me because when I was living in Wolfville back when we were working together, oh yeah, I had a little bit of I had a little bit of a mouse problem. Uh, and I just became completely desensitized to it. Like someone coming back from war, <laughs> I, ex- I had to, you know, kill so many mice that it do- I don't even feel anything anymore when I pick up a dead mouse will because I would lay a trap every day and I wasn't doing these humane, uh, traps that we see in this montage later on in this episode no. you know, with the breathing holes and all that. I was talking old French, uh, Spanish Inquisition style friggin' Snapchat traps that I got from Home Depot. Snapchat traps? Snapchat traps? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was sending this mouse DMs that disappear. (laughs) No, uh, Snap traps, the ones you get from Home Depot that are literally, you know, some kind of uh, medieval technology, just a spring and a piece of wood. And I would set one of those up every day and come back to a dead mouse pretty much every day for a month until I killed the whole litter. Oh, boy. Um, and, you know, I went into that situation, a boy will, and I came out a hardened man. Um, and so now, you know, killing a mouse to me, it's nothing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> not so for the Reed family. The perils of apartment ownership. Now, I, I like, similarly... I never got used to mice in my parents' house. I had to I had to kill one myself, uh, not with my bare hands, but basically by crushing it. It was really not fun, not great. Uh, in our, and in our previous apartment, I had the same level of desensitization because we had a roach problem. And so there would just be times where I would come back home at night, flip the lights on, and there would be dozens of roaches on the kitchen counter, and it would just be like, yeah, must be another another day in our life. And now, thankfully, we haven't had any of those sorts of problems uh, ever again. And I think back on that, and I just kind of shiver of like, how did I, how did that ever get to be normal for me? That's the real that's the real soul killer right there. When it's just like I don't even care anymore. So the reeds are certainly not immune to this. They are continuing to deal with the mouse. And as you said, Lucas, Dad is trying to set up several humane traps, including the Acme classic box over top of a piece of cheese. Like, he must have been watching (laughs) Family Guy or something and got this idea. But nothing works. This little mouse seems to be too smart. And he especially impacts on DW's life more than everybody else. We get a small montage of it kind of jump-scaring her at different opportunities. It's in the bathroom. It's in her teapot when she's, you know, drinking pretend tea. It shows up in her room at night. She's, she's, she's quite terrorized by it. So the idea that Arthur has is that he wants to... He's talking to Francine about it, and they've never had problems with it at Francine's apartment because they're probably too scared of Nemo, Francine's cat. So Arthur and DW borrow Nemo for a little bit in order to get the mouse which Pal is insecure about. And it's at this point of the episode where it turns into a dog and baby episode, and I was just like, ah, they Trojan horsed us with this one. I thought we were going to be dealing with this from Arthur and DW's perspective. Maybe, maybe the cat and dog don't have to talk. Like, you know, yeah. how about that? But no, I, uh, fortunately. I'm right, I'm right here with you, Will. This is, was the bad surprise I was talking about. You know, I was actually kind of with this episode up until this point. It was funny watching... Arthur's dad struggle with all those mouse traps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a pretty funny visual of literally all of the mouse traps stacked on top of each other, including the cardboard box and stick in the trash. Um, this episode had me the family dealing with this mouse problem. I was like, okay, I'm here for this. This is there's some good comedy here. 
and then when we get to Pal and Kate, Pal's kind of grating British voice, mm. and I was like, oh, man. And then I just kind of checked out from there. And this is pretty early in the episode, too. This is like at the five-minute mark we realized that it was a— usually we know it's a dog and baby episode with the cold open. So, and also Nemo's funny. voice that I think we both liked initially. It's just like the more that you hear it, the less you like it. It's it's really better in short bursts. And Nemo is a main character of this episode. You know, he talks he talks a big game about how experienced he is with catching mice. He says he's a master of cat foo, but he's all talk and no game because he tries to look for the mouse that night. And is easily spooked and becomes too afraid of it. Uh, Kate teases him a little because she says, I wonder if the mouse is the Gabanook. And Nemo's like, oh, yes, yes, that uh, that's Pal's voice, whatever. It's like, that's what it was. It was the Gabanook. What is it? And Pal says that's a word that Kate just thought of. <laughs> so Nemo and Pal have to work together uh, to try and trap the mouse. And it almost works. Their trap is a moldy piece of salami that Pal was keeping in the front garden. And this has, like, like actual, like, spores growing on it. This is, this is dangerous. But they set it outside on a plate, and then they close the door, and they're, they're very happy. Like, this is the most that Pal and Nemo have ever worked together. But then the mouse easily gets back in, in a hole in the side of the house. Go figure. I did kind of like this little segment. Like, it's kind of cute to watch it's it's weird to watch Pal and Nemo stand on their hind legs and yeah. hug each other like they animate they look like it's the only time I've ever seen Pal kind of stand like Brian Griffin again the reference <laughs> family guy um I, I have it f- freeze framed on this right now it, yeah it just looks odd you know it looks a little bit like uh no pun intended watching a dog walk on its hind legs um but uh I liked this kind of fake out they're so proud of each other and it's it's kind of the only time we've ever seen Pal and Nemo get along which is notable uh, but it is soon all for naught. Yes. So eventually, as we said, the mouse comes back in. The reeds decide they're going to call an exterminator. I did like this, how they have to kind of, mom and dad have to dance around the fact that the exterminator is going to kill the mouse. Mom likens it to DW and says that the exterminator is going to give the mouse a potion that will make it fall asleep. And dad adds forever. And DW's like, oh, okay. And doesn't think about it. It's like, no. Yeah, I, I thought this was going to come back. Like, if this episode wanted to be even more annoying, it would be like, oh, now DW wants to not kill the mouse, like, because she feels guilty about it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I liked how this was just like, nope, we're just not going to deal with this. Meanwhile, while this is happening, while they're waiting for the exterminator to come over, <laughs> while we're, we're in the middle of a dog and baby episode, who comes over but LaDonna? LaDonna's here, and she's bringing over a surprise for Arthur that turns out to be her pet albino rat who gets out of her bag and ends up scaring Nemo and Pal because they think that the that they think that the mouse that's in their house has like grown larger because of all the food that's been eating. But no, this mouse, this rat, can talk in the same way that Pal and Nemo can talk. And he has a southern a southern gentleman voice. He introduces himself as General Bucephalus Calpurnia Higgins, or just General Higgins, as uh, LaDonna calls him. So they actually make uh, quick much, friends. Much to my delight, Will, because of all the funny accents, you know, Will, me and you, listeners, this will come as no surprise, that me and Will like a funny accent. Oh, yeah, we do. 
We we really really do. Um, and personally, I think there is no accent funnier than I do declare. Mm. I, 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 ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I do declare I am a southern gentleman. And the fact that he describes himself, this I couldn't believe, that he's like, I am a white rat. Uh, that was <laughs> moment of the episode yeah, for me. I, it almost I, saved it for being a dog and baby. I was like, okay, this guy... This guy I like, and I want to see more of. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, I, I did put that down. I I am a white rat. And speaking of <laughs> speaking of glass onions, this is like, white like he's Steve Harvey. Like it's amazing. Yeah, it's it, and it's speaking of like can't hear this voice without thinking of Benoit Blanc from uh, from Glass Onion. That 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 real type of that real type of deep southern uh, type of accent. <laughs> so yes, it that slightly elevates it over your typical dog and baby fare. So the rat is quite friendly and manages to track down the mouse and convince it to leave. Uh, and we do get one voice line from the mouse. The um, General Higgins says that there's you know plenty of cheese uh, at another house down the street or something like that. And the mouse goes, any camembert? And that's, that's <laughs> one line. Unbeknownst to the Reed family, the mouse is long gone by this point, and LaDonna shows that General Higgins actually does tricks. We see him running through a hoop. Apparently, he can play basketball with a ping pong, and DW is quite taken with him, so she seems to be over her rodent phobia. And this is the end of the episode here, and I found this to be a little strange. Like, it seemed to be going for a different vibe than the whole rest of the episode, and I wonder if you picked up on this, too. It's like... Everybody kind of leaves, like Arthur is taking Nemo home, who's very kind of still creeped out by rodents and very much wants to go home. Like, Arthur leaves, like, Arthur and LaDonna walk out of the house, they wave goodbye, DW looks out the window and sees the mouse and waves goodbye, and everybody's happy, and I'm like, this is, this is, it struck me really weird, and it's hard for me to explain why. Well, there's a real arc to this episode, it's just like the... It's like Deus Ex Machina, they, they are able to talk to the mouse, and then the mouse leaves. Uh, I was, there was a lot of places this episode would go, and I try not to be, you know, critical of episodes for what they're not. Rather, you try to, you know, uh, take them for what they are. But for a second there, I was like, okay, is, like, there going to be some confusion when General Higgins escaped and LaDonna can't find him? Like, is the exterminator going to accidentally be threatening General Higgins and, and they're going to save him and that's what's going to get DW over her, like, mouse phobia or what have you? Or there was the stuff earlier where I thought it was going to be about the humans instead of the dog and baby. Like, there was a lot of places this episode could go and it just kind of fizzles. It's just very strange. Yeah. Uh, not really an arc to it. Yeah, agreed. did get a word from us kids but i literally have nothing to say about it it's just the kids are writing about uh <laughs> writing stories from an animal's point of view it's just like i'm i like i'm jumping through a a ring of fire uh i really hope i don't hurt myself i am a lion and it's just like i there wasn't really anything like funny or notable enough in there did you did you really get anything out of this uh, two quotes. One, when they were talking about the lion's perspective, uh, there was a funny line where they were like, okay, we're trying to think from the perspective of a lion. What would he be thinking? And it's like, why are they making me do this? That's pretty funny. Uh, and then the other thing was the conclusion we end on, the big lesson from this word from us kids is you should write stuff because you get to use your imagination and make your own stories. 
Uh, good reason to be right, I guess. You get to use your imagination and make up your own stories, Will. Succinct and to the point, that kid does not need an editor. Supporting this podcast is how it keeps going, and it's very easy to do. So here's how you can do that. If you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of Elwood City Limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even more services. You can also go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits, for the full back catalog. If we aren't on a service you use, please let us know. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, at ECL Podcast. Instagram, at at Elwood City Limits and twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod for our occasional streams. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be read on the show. Limits at gmail.com. Finally, for exclusive content, including entire side series like For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast and ECL Origins, subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening. And now back to the show. Lucas, who really owns anything? That's mm. that's the question we're asking at the beginning of Go Fly a Kite. Literally, Arthur at one point goes to the looks at the screen and says, "Who really owns anything?" Like, man, you're telling me how, you're, how you're telling me Arthur. The, how is this the second time it feels like the Arthur writers have been reading Noam Chomsky? Like, I feel like we've brought <laughs> Noam Chomsky up on the pod before, but I was like, "What is what is going on here?" Do you remember what the other uh, instance was? There was like a weird, there was like, this was, I, 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 there was like a weird Michael Parenti versus Noam Chomsky-esque, <laughs> like, left-wing ideological yeah. contrast. Yeah. Now, that, that one might have been me projecting a lot more. I feel like that was classic me drawing something out of the episode that might not necessarily have been there. But this one's pretty overt. This one's pretty like, you know, no gods, no masters, who owns ever anything. Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, I feel I feel like that. Yeah, I feel like you made that point on a fairly recent episode. So it may, it may, may be like ten or fifteen episodes back or something. But that does sound familiar. I can't quite place it though. But what Arthur means is that he picks up a quarter on the sidewalk as he's walking somewhere with DW, and then he thinks about how you know that was somebody else's quarter at one point, and now it's his. And then eventually when he gives it to somebody, it'll become theirs. Or he thinks about how, you know, his sweater was given to him by his grandma. But then eventually it will likely be handed down to his sisters, which DW says she does not want anything to do with that sweater. And just kind of the nature of ownership, which ties into the end of the cold open and into the episode where uh, an unnamed and unidentified kid loses their kite. And that's where we pick up from here. In the main plot here, Binky, Muffy, and LaDonna find this kite in a tree. It's a red uh, kind of flying V type of kite with red and yellow coloring about it. Uh, So they find the kite while Muffy is in the park practicing her putt, her long putt. She's a golf player. And Binky we see with his butterfly net. He's practicing his butterfly collecting. So... Uh, we haven't seen that in a good long while. LaDonna figures into here eventually. She's trying to read in a tree. Uh, but they find the kite, and they all take turns flying it there. Uh, initially, their idea is that so the owner can see it, but then they just have a lot of fun flying the kite. Or as LaDonna calls it, she refers to it as a majestic wind eater. 
Before we get into the episode proper, Will, do you ever fly kites back in the day? Oh. I feel like I don't have that many kite memories. Yeah. I wasn't a big kite guy. Yeah, probably. I just don't really, you know, probably did it once or twice, and then, I don't know. Like, it's it's not something that ever really stuck with me. I think even as a kid, I was like, all right, I'm kind of bored with this now. <laughs> You're like, what's with this Benjamin Franklin ass toy? <laughs> They've invented better toys. Give me a transformer. Yeah. Just, you know, you kind of just stand there and I'm sure that there are people who can make it do tricks. And it is a bit more complicated when you factor the wind into it and everything. But I think kite flying is something that always the cartoons seem to make more interesting and fun than I actually found it as a kid. Uh, what about you? Like I said, no, I, I was not mm. a big kite guy. They always do the, like, kite festival or something on Citadel Hill. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, I cannot remember the last time I flew a kite. So they've got this kite here. Uh, the LaDonna is showing them how to properly fly it, and they have to kind of take a run at it. Muffy says, I was made to run companies, not races. Oh, I wrote that down too. Great line. And eventually the three argue about who is the owner of the kite. They're operating under finders keepers here. So it's essentially belongs to the three of them, but they're not sure who is going to, to take it home. And Binky suggests that they each get it for a week. Then it goes to the next one and then the next one and then it starts over. And that's when I realized this episode reminded me a lot of, I believe it's in season two. You remember the episode with Arthur, Binky, the brain, and the key that they find? Oh, yeah. The key to like the sprinkler system? Yes, I forgot about that. So That's like a season three episode, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, it's it's quite far back. And I we've been noticing, I feel like it's in especially this season, they are not afraid to do, like, soft remakes of some of their, like, the concepts of their episodes. They go in different places with this one, but they're not above reusing ideas and trying them out with either different characters or taking them in different directions, which I'm not making a value statement about. I just wanted to make sure that, like, oh, yeah, this is really familiar, especially because Binky was a part of both of these episodes. Um, so they decide on this week thing, but because Buffy is here, she literally draws up a contract for weekly custody of the kite that LaDonna and Binky sign. Uh, there's a good line here when Bink- with Binky before they drew up the contract where he says, there's a simple, mature solution to this. I'll keep the kite. But uh, I-, I had a feeling this might be our throwaway character of the week. How about Muffy's lawyer, Walter? Yes, I'm a big fan of Muffy's lawyer, Walter. I hope we see more of him. I hope he isn't a throwaway character of the week. I agree. Um, so they draft it up. Binky and LaDonna sign it. They're each going to get a week, and Binky starts. Uh, so Binky has his custody week of the kite, but it's entirely rained out. He does not get to use it even once. So Muffy draws up a contract rider so that Binky can have more immediate time with the kite during her week, but that means he will be giving up two of his days on his week for one of her days on her week. <laughs> I love, I do like for something as innocuous as sharing a kite that they found. Buffy, of course, the one with the most resources is the one busting out the legalese uh, and really overcomplicating the matter. So Muffy has got it on her week and she's also kind of got Binky on a short leech leash because she can just enact this contract rider whenever she wants. While she is flying it, she loses the kite. So she and eventually Bailey chase after it. Bailey gets in this long protracted chase over mountains. We see a scene where he vaults over a cow running after it, but they do uh, lose. They do end up losing it. 
And Muffy is afraid. <laughs> she's afraid that if she tells Binky and LaDonna that LaDonna will be so upset that she will leave town and that Binky will sue her, which I don't know why she'd be afraid of being sued because she's she could easily afford the legal fees, whereas someone like Binky could not. Binky also doesn't strike me as litigious. He's more of a man of action, you know? He likes to, you know, solve problems with his fists. There's another good Muffy delivery here. So she's talking it over with Francine in the Sugar Bowl, and she shares this imagination of what will happen if she tells them. <laughs> I don't know. Like, this struck me funny. It's not, I don't even think it's necessarily meant to be like a laugh line, but Muffy just goes, maybe I don't have to tell them. And that's where she goes forward with buying a replacement for the kite, which is easier said than done. And she ends up going through a lot of these replacements. They they buy different ones, but they aren't as good as the original kite for various reasons. Like one, I think, flies away. Um, Bailey even builds a replica kite. Like he forges it. He uses an acetylene torch and everything. And it's it seems to be too good. It's strong enough to not only drag Muffy into the sky, and Bailey has to uh, save her, but it flies directly into the sun. We see it go through space and dissolve <laughs> in the sun. Yeah, this was a funny visual gag. A little bit of magical realism to kind of uh, spice up the episode. And I mean, I, I can't. I almost can't believe it. I'm pretty much at the end of the episode with my notes here. It's basically that, you know, Muffy does have to... Um, I, I think it's... Or, or is it LaDonna that she has to... I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Here, I feel like I'm... I feel like I missed part of this episode at this point. No, Will, it's not just you. I also feel like I missed part of this episode because I got to say, folks, folks at home, I dare you to try and watch this episode and keep paying attention during this third act because it's just not very interesting. It's just it's just the stakes are so low with this misunderstanding about this kite that it's so hard to keep engaged. So, okay, this is, this is, I did just kind of forget to write this down. I apologize. So I'm just going by, again, the Arthur Wiki here. Uh, when LaDonna gets custody of the kite, she tries to show DW and Bud a bunch of tricks, but she ends up damaging it. Uh, she does get it fixed at, like, a professional shop, but uh, it's, you know, that that's the end of her kite flying for that week. She presents it back to Binky and Muffy, and then they all get in a big argument over the various stipulations of the contract. Like, Binky <laughs> Binky brings up the fact that, like, there's no details in the rider as to when Muffy can take her days out of his week, and it's not enforceable. Um, I think Muffy says, like, LaDonna owes damages or something. And then the owner of the kite comes along, and it's Carl. It's, I'm always surprised. We we when we did our episode about Carl, we did a couple of different podcast episodes about Carl, and every time I see him, I feel like, oh, this is the last time. Oh, this is the last time, and then he shows up one more time, and I'm looking at all of his kind of appearances here, and he's going to be showing up a few more times. So if you don't remember, Carl is a younger kid. I think he is supposed to be around the kid's age, maybe like a year or two younger. And he was introduced in an episode where George found out about autism, which the episode itself is a bit dated, but it is, you know, and, and the ways in which it interacts with autism spectrum disorder, it dated, maybe a little simplistic, folds it in a little bit too neatly. We did a whole 
uh, ECL flash forward episode. It's back in the free feed with um, the thoughts of autistic people about this episode. But Carl is here and it is his kite. He reclaims it while the three of them are bickering over their contracts. And he's he is still very much the same character. He speaks very matter of factly. He's able to rattle off uh, facts like he knows exactly how long he's had the kite or how long that he's flown it. And he's also very he's very sensitive to loud noises. He you know, he covers his ears, which are he covers. Carl is a bunny, so he covers the side of his head where human ears go and not his bunny ears on the top of his head because he says that the three of them are arguing too loud. But he allows them to fly with him as long as they are quiet. And that's that's the end. I got to say, um, you mentioned that the Carl's introduction episode is a little bit dated. And I was a little I, I want to do this carefully. And I, I this is one of the reasons why I'm so happy we have the discord so we could hear from people who have lived experience on this matter. Mm-hmm. But I felt like Carl here felt like a caricature, like he feels like Rain Man or something like he shows up and basically lists the exact date and moment he lost the kite. Yes. Which doesn't. You know, it's not really reminiscent of anybody I've ever met in my life. You know, I've been around autistic people, and they don't really operate like this, right? They, you could have your fixations or whatever, but nobody's like, yes, I remember uh, it was at this moment, at this day, the blah, 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 like listing off dates and times. I feel like that's that's kind of a, a, a fictionalized idea of what an autistic person is. Again, a la a rain man or something, and not necessarily indicative of people's actual life experience. Now, I, I, I kind of... Uh, uh, welcome audience uh, uh, suggestions or, or sort of lived experience on this matter. And so I'm excited to see the emails about this moment. But I don't know. I feel like Carl was kind of done dirty here. He just shows up, lists the time he wants uh, that he lost the kite, and then kind of says, yeah, you, and you guys can be quiet so I can fly it. I don't know. If, if Carl's going to be used again, I would like to just see like actual stories or narrative arcs with Carl and not him to kind of show up uh, and then list dates and times i agree um i think that it's really hard to even make carl a character because outside of his one episode the times that he has shown up he's very quick and it's as a supplement to what is already going on so you don't get a sense of him uh you know other than his interests perhaps but like you said lucas sometimes and especially if it's in a very short window as as at the end of this episode here it can it starts to feel to me like it's getting a bit close to, as you said, caricature. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Would love to hear from our listeners about this, about the continued use of Carl. Now, we've already had, of course, many, many listeners' feedbacks on the original ep- episode. But as Carl continues to show up, I would really like to know what people think about his continued cameo appearances. And maybe if we're lucky, I have no idea. Maybe we do get a Carl-centric episode. I'm, I'm hopeful. But yeah, putting him at the end of this episode, it's nice that he's here. But it's also like, definitely want more. And it's a shame that, like, it reminds me of the character in, like, the, the girl in the wheelchair that in that in that brain episode do you remember her name because i don't and i think that that's a mm. problem i think that mm. it's nice that a lot of the arthur characters can deal with different different problems issues and occurrences in a child's life but it's too bad that it seems from where we are right now there are more episodes behind us than in front of us and i feel like 
characters like Carl or that other character whose name I don't remember. You might, but I don't because she was only in what one episode, maybe two. Um, could be better served and could be like what happened to um, what happened to Marina? Like, like, where is she? Like, she was around for quite a bit, and I liked her as a character. And it just occurs to me now, like, she's nowhere to be seen. So, I don't know. Uh, I think that this is also, it's also hard because Arthur started at such a different time. It started at such a different time than other more recent cartoons, which are able to take in those types of characters and give them more rounded experiences and make them more naturally fitting parts of the cast. And maybe this was just growing pains of maybe the Arthur writer's room wanted to include these characters more, but either couldn't think of ways to do it or had to focus on a bajillion other characters or something. I don't know. But it is it is kind of a shame. That's the end. That's the end of that episode. Would certainly love to hear uh, people's thoughts on this. But let's talk about our own thoughts here uh, as we go back to pets and pests, Lucas. Um your your return episode, what'd you think? I was not a fan of pets and pests. Hmm. There's a few moments that I enjoyed, you know, the hug between the animals. Uh I uh what's his name? Dr. Higgins. <laughs> General <laughs> I Higgins. Hear more. General Higgins, Esquire, at your service. Uh I wanna hear more from him. Uh, but everything else I could take or leave, Will. Uh, I don't want to, you know, get ahead of myself. But actually, why don't I want you to hear what did you think of pets and pests? Well, there's always uh, – they're never – there's almost never a complete write-off of an episode of Arthur. There's usually, if if nothing else, like a, a funny line, visual gag, an interesting idea – even with these dog and baby episodes, which we've already talked about, we're not a f- huge fan of. Like in this one, yeah, General Higgins did have a funny voice. There were a couple of good lines. And the original idea of the Reeds having to deal with a mouse in the house was something that I was interested in. Yeah, I- I'm, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about it. It certainly isn't like, it's not the worst dog and baby episode I've seen. In fact, <laughs> it, if I take them all together, it might be on the upper end just because of General Higgins' funny voice. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm just like, eh, not really into these. Never, never really have been. Probably won't be. And then uh, it's interesting that we got to talk about. We got into a little bit of a deeper conversation than I was expecting for the end of Go Fly a Kite because I almost surprised myself talking about it. I'm just like, uh huh, uh huh. Wow, not a lot happened in this, huh? It just kind of it almost snuck up on me of like, yeah, this. I don't know. This wasn't this wasn't great either. And it's not not that it was especially bad. It's just that like. Eh, it's kind of forgettable, and and especially uh, watching it the first time and realizing like, oh, they're just doing the key episode again. Okay, and it's n- not to say that they shouldn't necessarily try similar ideas with new characters, and I am glad that they did that. You know, the Muffy, but an interesting, interesting to see the dynamics work between Muffy, Binky, and Ladonna. But you know, in the end, I I. As you as you yourself said, Lucas, I found it kind of hard to pay attention to or care about. So, you know, it's fine. Couple of fun lines in there, and the appearance of Carl is at best, as we say, a mixed bag. So, yeah, I'm kind of also a little bit down, mildly down on this one too. What about you? I was not a fan, Will. Uh, I would describe this episode as mid in the worst way possible. In fact, I would say these two episodes combined make up the worst episode of the season thus far. I just was like, 
you know, we got some dog and baby stuff. We have some stuff I don't care about. You know, LaDonna just being kind of annoying. This episode is is kind of the combo breaker in that I feel like we were feeling pretty high mm. on the Flash era thus far. Being like, okay, they're doing some interesting stuff with the writing. These two episodes are kind of what I expected from the Flash era at its worst. Worst, which is just Arthur spinning its wheels. Nothing interesting happening. Um, no arcs to any of the characters. Yeah. No nuanced morals. No funny storytelling or standout kind of funny moments or interesting writing. Uh, it's just kind of boring, Will, uh, which is about the worst thing an Arthur episode could be. So uh, two thumbs down from me this week. Yeah, this is like the Arthur equivalent of filler almost. It's just like, yeah, this is just another like you can plug this in anywhere. And I also th- I also want to say that, and this is, was pointed out to us as we were beginning the uh, Flash animated seasons of Arthur, that the... The visuals themselves are not going to take away from the writing, and I think that's true in both a positive and negative sense, in in that we did indeed, I feel confident that we both have gotten used to the way the show looks, and that's, and that's, gr- that's good. I'm really happy that we have, but it also means that, like, it's the 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 show is still gonna live and die on its on its writing and yes it is a kids show live live and die perhaps the language I'm using is a bit harsh but it's like yeah our our enjoyment is going to be dependent on the situations they come up with and how strong the writing for the characters is and neither of these I felt were all that strong and it it doesn't help that one of the stories is based on a premise that Lucas and I don't really like so yeah we're not really we're not really into this but. The good thing is, is that even though we have more behind us than in front of us, there are still plenty of episodes to go. And we have been generally pretty positive about the season that we've been in so far. And, hey, all we have to do is wait a week and there's another Arthur episode for us to talk about. So uh, that's 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 always the silver lining is that, hey, if you didn't like this one, there's another one coming your way real, real soon. And that's true for Arthur and for Elwood City Limits, which hopefully there isn't an episode of Elwood City Limits that you like, dislike, or anything like that. But don't worry, we we will have another one coming very very soon, uh, and we will also have another monthly podcast coming at the end of July. Now, Lucas, I haven't discussed this with you off air, and I apologize. This is you know I'm, I'm not trying to do a gotcha moment here or something, but I did. Oh my gosh, what's happening? I, Will? I wanted to get your natural reaction to the idea that I had for the next two entries of ECL Origins. Because I knew from the beginning, I wanted us to talk about something that we've... We actually spoke about this briefly in the For the Kids episode that came out in June on Jaker's The Adventures of Piggly Winks, because that is a CGI animated show. And there's a CGI animated show... There's, I mean, there's a couple of CGI animated shows that are very close to us. And so... I wanted to, like, it was tough to think about because I'm like, well, there's two that I can think of in particular that I think are special to hmm. both of us. Hmm. And so I think I, I, I have a bit of a skeleton of, of an idea here, and I want to see if this sounds agreeable to you. So at the end of July, I would like to talk to you about the uh, the first CGI animated television show, Canadian television show, Made by Mainframe Entertainment, reboot. I that sounds divine. Will I'm ready to jack in. I'm ready to uh, buy the user. 
I'm ready to uh, return to a cult Canadian classic. But, and here's the other thing, is that when we started, when we were going to start ECL Origins, I kind of asked you of like a special shows that were special to you that you wanted to watch. That's why we started with SpongeBob. Uh, we eventually talked about Yvonne of the Yukon, Homestar Runner, all this kind of stuff. And one of the ones you told me is another mainframe show that I decide, I think that, you know, we we do research for these episodes or, or a, we, do, we do research for these episodes a little bit lighter on the research than, say, for the kids, a PBS Kids podcast. But in talking about the story of Reboot, I'm definitely going to talk about the story of mainframe entertainment. And then when we get to what will be the episode of ECL Origins in September, I would like to talk about the other big mainframe show from the 90s, which will involve a bit of history of Transformers. Because, Lucas, I'd like this to be a two-parter. In July, Whoa. we're talking about Reboot. In September, we're talking about Beast Wars. Beast Wars, uh, or as we like to call it, Will, uh, not to cannibalize our episode, a Beasties. Beasties. So that's what I have in mind for the Patreon content coming for summer. And, of course, we have where we will have a For the Kids episode coming in August as well. I won't tell you what that is just yet. We'll wait till the beginning of July to reveal that. But yeah, that's what we have for the next two episodes of ECL Origins. We're going to talk about Reboot, and we're going to talk about Beast Wars, two shows very close to our hearts and very, very important to the animation industry as a whole, I would dare to say. So if that sounds good to you, check us out. Patreon.com slash Limits. Pay what you want and receive our premium podcast one per month plus every ECL episode early. And speaking of ECL episodes, our next one, as we continue on through season 17, you know, we're going to be done this season before you know it. We're going to be talking about the director's cut and crime and consequences. So so after all that movie talk up front, Lucas, we might be dealing with a movie-styled episode. I look forward to it. Yes, sir. Well, it's good to be back in full force, and we will be continuing on here on Elwood City Limits. No matter where you are, uh, happy summer vacation. If you were in school, or perhaps teaching school, and otherwise have a great summer season, and we will be here sweating out with you. That's Elwood City Limits. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini, curse you, weatherman! We'll see you next time.